This is episode nine of the Everything Arts Podcast, the business side of art. And now, a man who randomly breaks out in the hokey pokey, because, after all, that is what it's all about, Michael Blackston. Welcome back to the Everything Arts Podcast. This is episode 9, the business side of art. I am Michael Blackston, and I'll be talking to you by myself this time. And I think that'll be okay because I think I have something that will be sort of instructional to talk to you about. And I'm really, really excited to talk to you about it because it's something that's close to my heart, and it's something that deals with a myth about artists. And and really, I think it's a myth that all artists deal with, whether you're a visual artist or a performing artist, uh, a photographer. I've heard this on all of these vocations, and I want to dispel that myth. Although, when I talk about the business side of art, you will find out very soon that it is not easy to make money and make a business doing art, but it is possible. But first, I want to get some stuff out of the way. Let's talk about the website, www.myeverythingarts.com. You know you can go there. You can contact me at contact at myeverythingarts.com. And I really want to hear from you. I have had a few people contact me who've listened to the podcast. And so far, it's been, uh, you know, positive. But I do want to hear from you. So, and there's a couple of ways to do it. I want you to contact me at that address, contact at myeverythingarts.com. I do want to hear from you. I would love to hear your own stories about things that might have happened to you in the art world, whether it be something that you tried to do, a new medium that you tried to get into, or a failure that you had that you learned from. We'll talk about failure in just a little bit when we're talking about the business side of art and how failure is not really failure. It's all about how you look at it. There's all sorts of stories that artists can tell, and if you will tell me your stories, you might even get to hear your story on the Everything Arts Podcast. So it's something to think about. We also would like you to rate us on iTunes. If you're pulling us up off iTunes, downloading us, give us a rating. Let them know how we're doing. It helps to rank us when you give us a review. I'd like you to review us there as well. So a couple of other things. If you've listened to the previous podcasts, I've been really inconsistent, and that really bothers me because I do not like to be inconsistent. Inconsistencies really get under my skin. And unfortunately, as I go back and I listen, and I'm nitpicky about the podcast, and I listen to things that I've done and I've said on the podcast, I have been really inconsistent. You know, one day I'm going to be, I'm telling you that I'm going to try to get you a, a podcast out and released once every two weeks. Then I'm telling you last time that I'm going to be releasing a podcast only once a month. When I first started this, I even, I don't even know, you may be able to get episodes one and two somewhere. I don't know if there, you know, once you put something on the internet, it's probably out there for good, but I have actually removed episodes one and two because at first they really weren't where I thought I wanted the podcast to go. I wanted to be informative, but as I started getting into it, I was just having a whole lot of fun and being funny and joking around and stuff like that, and that's really kind of what I want with this podcast. I want us to be informative, but at the same time, I want us to be really, really entertaining so that you're just not blah, 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 blah. You can get podcasts that say blah, 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 blah all over the internet. I don't want that to be what the Everything Arts podcast is about, and so I've gone back and forth on it. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. And you can tell me what you think, too. 
I think that if you're listening to this podcast, it's because we have topics you're interested in. We've caught your attention one way or another, but it's also something that can help you. I really keep going back to I want to be able to help you. If there's any sort of wisdom I have, I would like to share it with you. If there's wisdom that somebody that I could interview has, I want to share that with you. And I promise I've been telling you I'm going to have other interviews, and I do have some coming up. I just now figured out this whole thing about recording phone calls, and you would be amazed at how easy you think it is, but it really isn't. So, you know, I want my audio, I want my audio quality to be really good for you, so it's an easy listen for you. So here's what I'm thinking that I'm going to do. I kind of want to go back to that original format for two reasons. The original format, I was being informative. You know, in, well, in episode one, I really just sort of gave you an outline of what I wanted the podcast to be. But in episode two, I was talking about priorities and focus. And I'd spent the whole podcast explaining my thoughts and my theories about how to go about doing one project at a time and completing one before you move on to the other. And I thought that was very informative. And, and, and I still do. But it got a little dull for me. So what we're going to be doing is I'm going to do that. But at the same time, when I have something fun, like the stuff with Tony King and my wife and Gunner and all that, with the the uh, episode eight was accents and we talked about theater superstitions and the anatomy of a, of the stage, I'm going to keep these going. And every time I have something to talk about, I'm going to release them. And then those special ones I'm going to re- release as a special podcast, as a sort of an extra but I want to I want to be informative. I want you to be able to listen to the Everything Arts podcast, and I want you to say, I learned something from that. I can take that information. I can use it and make my life, my business, my hobby, whatever you're into, better. And I can grow through that. So that's what I've got in mind for the podcast. Hopefully, I will become consistent from this point on, and you'll be able to know what you're going to get from this podcast. And so... I'm probably beating myself up a little too much about it, and you're probably listening to it going, Michael, it's fine. I don't know what you're talking about, but if you could get inside my head and see all the little jangled broken glass and uh, and rusty nails and screws and stuff that jangle around in there, you would understand that I'm insane and also my own worst critic. There you go. You can deal with it as you as best you can. So the business side of art. Here's what I want to talk about. I run my own business. I started my business back in 2006, 2008. I started part-time in 2006, and then I went on my own in 2008, and I run a granite etching business. I etch tombstones for a living, and I've talked about that in previous episodes. I'm not going to go too much into it, except when I get into these bullet points that I'm talking about on the business side of art. But it, as I'm listening to podcasts, I listen to them all the time because I travel all the time. I travel anywhere at the moment in a seven-hour radius of Elberton, Georgia, because that's my home base. That's also the granite capital of the world. That's our claim to fame. We do tombstones. But I'm on the road all the time, and I'm listening to podcasts. I can't stand to listen to the same song over and over, and sports talk gets old. And So I try to find things that can be informative for me and can help me grow my business and things that are interesting that I can learn. And the one thing that comes up over and over and over again is pursuing something that is that you're passionate about. And I keep I'm listening to all of these entrepreneurial. Let me move my iPad. I've got my bullet points on my iPad, and if I move it around this microphone, you're going to hear some noise. In fact, I'll make it for you. There you go. Anyway, people are interested in entrepreneurship, if I can say that right. And I am too. I want to grow my business. But there's a myth about artists. 
whether it's a myth about artists that are visual, painters, oil painters, any of that type of art, photographers, performers. There's a myth out there, and you've all heard it. And it really comes in a term that I'm so sick of hearing called starving artist. Now, if you go to the My Everything Arts page and you look at the About Me, it will say right beside a picture of me that I'm trying to dispel the myth that artists must starve. I don't believe that. But it is a myth, and it is, it is something that a lot of people believe, that if you are a serious artist, you either will be starving by necessity or by obligation. And what I mean by that is either you there's just not enough work out there to be found to make some money at your craft, or there's something philosophical about being a starving artist, and if you're not starving, then you're a sellout. You're not really an artist. And, and I've run into both of those in my lifetime. But I think it's a myth. It's a common myth about self-employed or freelance artists. And, and people think we have nothing but time on our hands and that we chose our field because we're just too lazy to get a real job. I'm here to tell you that there's nothing further from the truth. In most cases, now I do know some artists who are kind of lazy. I, you know, I know, I know that there was a, there's always a kernel of truth in just about everything. I understand that there are people, and you probably know one too, who wants to be an artist and they want to sell their art for $300,000 and paint a big red dot in the middle of a white canvas and call it art. And we can talk all day on whether that's art or not, but that's all they want to do. I understand that. And they want to paint in their studio and sleep till 11 o'clock and stay up all night and yada, yada, yada. I know people like that, but for the majority, most artists are very hard workers who really, really slave over their craft, and they really worry about whether they're getting better, and they try to improve. That's most of the artists that I know. So I really don't like that myth, and what I really also can't stand is this little icon that's in the middle of my iPad trying to tell me that the volume is down. I know the volume's down, and I'm pressing it, and it will not go off of my screen. You're about to see me. No, you're not going to see anything. You're going to hear me throw an iPad if I can't get it off the screen. I guess I'm just going to have to read through it. Anyway, I have some bullet points listed, and I want to talk about the business side of art because for the better part of a decade now, I have been running my own business called Blackston Arts Etching, and I've learned a lot of things along the way. I started off brand new as a brand new entrepreneur part-time and moved on into full-time. Through that, I have learned so much that I think I can give you. So let's just dispel that myth right now. Let's just throw that out the water. I do not believe that if you're an artist listening to this, that you must starve. There is money that can be made. So lately I've been identifying myself not only as a professional artist, but as an entrepreneur. I said that word earlier, and it's not easy to say, so I'm not going to say it a whole lot of time because I end up sounding really stupid. Entrepreneur. And so far, I have not had an unsuccessful year, with the exception of 2012, and that wasn't unsuccessful. It just got slow. As everybody knows how the economy was going at that time, and we're not out of the doldrums yet, but at that time, the entire granite industry slowed down, and I had not a bad year, but not as good a year as I've had. Every year, with the exception of 2012, I've had steady growth in my company. And at this recording, I'm within days of launching a pet memorial division that promises to be extremely profitable if I follow the points that I'm about to share with you. So, while I'm not a guru at all, and I'm certainly no Fortune 500 magnate, and I still have panicky times every once in a while when there's too much month at the end of the money, 
I think most of us have, I do feel like I've garnered enough wisdom about how to successfully start and run a small business to fill this podcast with some valuable information that you can take with you and make work for you. I'm not telling you you're going to be rich. I'm not telling you that you're even going to make this great living where you can have most of your time off and just do nothing but paint. That's not what I'm telling you. But what I'm telling you is if you love your art and it's something that you're passionate about, there's no reason that you can't make a buck doing it. And however hard you're willing to work is however far you can take it. Now, I've always wanted to be my own boss. You can call me what you will, but I absolutely hate people telling me what to do because when you work for somebody else, nine times out of ten, you're only going to get some sort of recognition when you fail. Most of us, I think, have had that happen to us. You're doing everything great. They tell you, good job, good job. But for the most part, it's when you fail, it's when you get really reamed, it's when people really pay attention. I also have very little tolerance for that manager, quote-unquote, you know, the snot-nosed jerk that they have a piece of paper framed on their wall, says BS degree of what's it from such and such university, and I stress the initials BS, and they feel like because they own the paper, they own you. And even though you're far better at that job than they could ever be, they feel like they own you. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not downplaying the importance of an education in your field, and I salute those who put the class time and the study time and copious amounts of money to really earn that degree. I salute you, but think about what I just said. I referenced the jerks of the world. Those people who only have their insecurities to comfort them, and that comfort comes in the form of bullying their subordinates because they've been given, not earned, the authority to do so. And most of us have worked in a retail environment like that, and we've met that person and worked under them a time or two, possibly. I did several times, and there was always that needling voice in the back of my head that said, Michael, just find a way to work for yourself. And I've, I've had that attitude since I was a kid. And if that is your attitude and you've always wanted to be your own boss, you can do it. So after a long time, I finally found that way, and I'll never work for anybody else ever in my life again. As a matter of fact, I feel like right now, if everything crashed down and people stopped using etching, hand etching, I feel like by the end of the week, I could make as much money now as I could working at a fast food restaurant or something like that, and then I would start growing. I really believe with the information that I've garnered and the, um, the wisdom that I've gained through running my own business, I could pick it up, start again with something else, and be on my way, and I could do it in an art field. So here's a quick backstory about how I came to realize I had found the way to work for myself. Just real quick, I started with insurance. Well, I didn't start with insurance. I worked a lot of different jobs before I had the insurance job, but it was really when I started maturing in my marriage and in my adulthood and becoming more of an adult when I was working for the insurance company. And I got laid off and had to move back in with my mom. Now, we had just had a our first child. Uh, Noah was a very small baby, and we had to move back in with my mom, take everything out of the house that we were renting, put it in storage, and move back in across the state border with my mom. After 10 months of looking for a job and not being able to find one, I finally got a job in a junkyard. In the middle of July, I ran a big metal unair conditioned uh, they had a little small fan up in the cab, but a little, a big metal unair conditioned yellow behemoth machine that moved junk cars from place to place. My job was to move them in an aesthetic, nice-looking line so that people coming through the car auction 
would have a nice experience as they were trying to find the junk cars that they wanted to buy. And that was my job, and I guess there was some art in that anyway. They, they really liked the way I lined up junk cars. I worked there for, I think it was two weeks, and I felt led to leave. And at the time that I did, I got that very weekend a call from a friend of mine who worked for the etching company. And I got an interview that Monday, started working for the etching company, and realized I had found my job. From that moment on, I knew I was going to do my own thing. And I saw that there was a need for customer service in the etching industry and also for people who would go out and do things on site because all of the stones came through Elberton, Georgia, but there were there were monument companies all over the, the country. I thought that there might be an area around me that I could service and there might be a need for me to go do it on site there. I found out that that was true. So now I do that, and over these years I've found some very important things about running a business that I want to share with you. Number one, care about your work. You want to provide good quality over quantity at all times. It gets really, really tempting to create a lot of something, especially if you find something that sells well. You want to create a lot of it and make a lot of sales because, hey, it feels good to get paid. Not only do we get you know, gas money, but we also get some recognition from that. And so it gets really tempted to want to just spit it out there and keep doing that. And I think that's where a lot of this thought about being a sellout comes from. When when I say you're not necessarily a sellout for making your living doing art, I do want you to understand that a true artist is going to care about their work, going to care about their quality, about what they're producing. If you're singing, you're going to constantly practice and you're going to try to get better and you're going to give 120,000% in every audition. If you're a painter, you're going to try to make every next painting your next masterpiece and try to get better and better. And that takes time. You want to get quality over quantity. What happens when you do that is that those who are purchasing your work and those who are taking recognition of your work are also recognizing you as a quality artist. You can go to Walmart and you can buy a million widgets that they mass produce and nobody thinks anything about them. They just scan them, put them in a bag that you have 20,000 plastic bags and 20,000 widgets were put into those bags and you don't think anything of it. A work of art is something that is put on display. And so you want that to be good quality. You also next want to care about how you're perceived in your field. Now here's how you do that. You do that by caring about your customer. This is what I built my business on. This is the number one thing that I explain to any new customer potentially that I'm talking to is I explain to them that I understand they have customers and that if their customers aren't happy, they're not happy. And if they're not happy, they're not going to buy from me. So I care about customer service. I go above and beyond. I go further than the distance to make sure that the customer is happy. There are times the customer's not always right. I don't believe in that. But for the most part, even if they're not right, you do what you got to do to try to make that customer happy because it doesn't matter how much money you put into marketing. You can put millions of dollars into marketing, but all it takes is one bad experience from a customer to ruin everything. You want to make the customer experience wonderful. So customer service is essential, and without it, you are completely out of business. So those are those are a couple of things that are just real important right off the bat, and you're saying to yourself, Michael, that's logical, I understand that. That's fine, but how do you be happy in what you do? You're an artist, you want to make money at your business, but you've got to make a living. Well, it's very important that you start by doing what you love. I love all sorts of art. Uh, as a matter of fact, I could make a living singing or 
writing or the artwork that I do. I do artwork on tombstones, so it's visual art. I do portraiture and all that t sort of stuff on black granite. But at this point now, with what I've learned, I believe I could make a go at anything that I put my mind to in the art world. And I happen to love a lot of that. But you need to do something that you're passionate about because you heard it time and time again, probably. Never chase the money. If you do what you love, the money will come. So, Michael, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Do what you love. The money will come. The money will follow if you're passionate about it. Treat your customers right. Give good quality. Michael, these are all things I could have gotten by buying a magazine at the convenience store. And I know that. But I think it's very important that I drive that into your mind because so many people are bogged down into that mire of I have no choice but to work and slave at jobs I absolutely hate. And I did that for 15 years and I hated doing it. And I'm so happy now that I'm doing what I love. So find out what you love. Decide I'm going to make a living doing whatever it is for you. I'm going to take photography for a living. Okay. Fine. You want to take photography for a living? You want to be a wedding photographer, an outdoor photographer, graduation photos, birthday photos, whatever you want to do. There are certain steps that you need to follow no matter what that vocation is. And here they go. First thing you want to do is set goals. If you don't set your goals, you have nothing to shoot for. I'm going to use a lot of terms in this podcast that I'm sure you've heard before and you may think they're cliche, but they're all so true. If you shoot at nothing, you will always hit the target. I don't remember who said that, and it's been said a million different times by a million different people a million different ways, but it is always true. You'll never hit the target if you don't take the shot. Well, you don't know where to shoot if you don't set a goal, so you need to set goals. Set long-term goals. They're great, but also set milestone goals that you can achieve rather quickly. I'm going to talk about both of them, but I do want to tell you that nothing helps you keep that fire lit like seeing yourself accomplish the things you set out to do. What I've done is I've set out long-term goals five and ten years down the road. Yeah, even five and ten years down the road. That seems like a long time, but it's amazing how fast time goes by. And then under those goals, I've set a display of how I plan to get there. And each way that I plan to get there in those five or ten years is a goal in itself that I can look to achieve. And as I see myself marking those off, I'm feeling that achievement. I'm feeling better about myself. I'm keeping myself excited. I'm loving what I'm doing. I set goals three months, six months, a year from now, five and ten years. And remember to be bold about it. Don't be afraid to set goals that other people are going to tell you are crazy. Make sure that you are ready to do what it takes to do them, but set them. Then you want to put a business plan into writing. Now, this is going to include not only the goals you've set, but how you plan to achieve them, like I said earlier. And it does take time, but it's worth the effort. Without a business plan, you're just treading water. You have nothing to shoot for. Next, don't be ashamed of this new venture that you've got. There's going to be naysayers. There will be naysayers. There will be family members and friends. Most of the time, people who have failed that'll tell you it can't be done and try to give you all the negative aspects of why you shouldn't go into it. There are those people, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, so you may as well get used to ignoring them because, like I said, They've usually failed, and they were too chicken to get back on the horse. Let your family and friends in on your plan. A lot of times, you may find that they have good advice, and they may even be able to open doors for you. Now, I talked earlier about failure. I said the word failure and told you I'd get to it. Well, I want to talk about that right now because one of the biggest reasons that most people who consider themselves entrepreneurs of any ilk, whether it's art or 
you know, shoe sales or anything like that. One of the reasons they don't try, they don't get started, so many times they say it's because they were afraid of failure. When you actually launch an idea, you're out there. You're for everybody to see, and good or bad, win or lose, it's going to happen. You're not going to fail unless you launch it. So failure is something that you've got to embrace, and you need to accept it as part of the process. Thomas Edison tried over 9,999 times before finally giving us the light bulb. And when he was asked how he dealt with such great numbers of early failures, he replied something to the effect of, I didn't fail. I found over 9,999 ways not to do it. It was 10,000 that got him the light bulb, and now we are where we are today. That's the tenacity and the spirit you're going to need to be successful. Another thing that I am hearing all of these entrepreneurs say over and over and over again, this next point, you're going to hate it. Get up early. I know. If you're thinking, I want to be my own boss, one of the things you're probably thinking is, I can sleep in. No, you can't. Not if you want to be successful. In my industry, granite etchers have earned a reputation for being undependable and lazy. And I think several of them over the years went out on their own and decided that because they were their own boss, they could sleep in every day and get their commissions when they just felt like it. And I even know one who used to take a two-week hunting trip during the busiest season of the year and he'd leave clients in the lurch. I was happy to satisfy their customers. I took that business. And you need to understand that being an artist does not mean that you, by definition, must starve. I totally reject that idea, but there are ways to make money in your medium. You just have to work harder than you've ever worked before. So being your own boss means getting up early and working harder than you've ever worked before. At this time, I've been successful getting up at 6 and 7. I never can sleep past 8. But my goal in the next couple of weeks is to get to where I am up at 5 o'clock every morning. And the few times that I actually have been up at 5 o'clock, I've managed to get so much more done in those couple of hours before everybody else got up than I ever would do in the middle of the day. Next, you want to research. Research, research, research. I can't say that enough. By learning your target market, you will learn the best ways to reach them. Earlier I said, identify what it is that you want to do. You also have to identify who it is that you're going to sell what you want to do to you got to have a market. Walmart knows who their market is. Well, it's just about everybody, I guess, now. Everybody that I know spends most of their time there. But when they were first starting, they knew who it was they wanted to market, and they hit that market. Everybody is the same way. You need to do your research, look at what it is that you do, and who is most likely to buy. Now we're in the information age, and we've got the Internet. And the Internet is such a valuable tool because whereas in the old days you had to go out in the streets and knock doors and survey people, which is still not a bad idea, I suppose. But yeah, the Internet, you can research so much information from all over the world, and it's right there at your fingertips. You can find out exactly who your target market is and exactly how to reach them. Next, you need to be adapting to new ways and new technologies. You need to be willing to do that. Times are going to change with or without you. You hear a lot of the mom-and-pop established businesses that have gone under, and it's popular to simply blame the big chain stores like Walmart, like I just said, for their demise. The truth is, if you, if you look into many of them, not all, but a lot of them, you'll find an absolute rebellion against learning any new concepts and adapting to survive in any contemporary marketplace. I still run into monument dealerships every now and again that are run by older people who refuse to even have a computer in the office because the old way was good enough in their eyes and they wonder why business isn't as good as it used to be you've got to adapt and you've got to keep pace with the marketplace it's no good you may be able to print out door hangers and hang them in the neighborhoods and get good results you may knock on doors 
every day for whatever it is you're trying to sell. In artwork, that's usually not how it's done. But my point is, in the sales game, that's really what this comes down to. You're a salesman of your craft or a salesman of your work. You don't have to do that exclusively anymore. You don't really even have to do that anymore if you don't want to. The Internet, technology, apps have made everything right at our fingertips. It's never been easier to not only reach your target market, but to reach multiple times more of people in that target market than ever before because through the internet you have a worldwide audience so you want to make sure that you're keeping pace with that stuff don't be afraid to advertise on social media just kind of figure out do your research figure out what's the best ways to do it so that you're not aggravating everybody and ostracizing your family members and stuff and there are certain ways that people have come up with now to do it, and there are experts in that field. You can listen to podcasts. I, that's currently what I'm listening to now in my podcast world is social media marketing. That's really what I'm trying to learn right now, and there's so much to learn. I, I just, it's like I'm like a kid in a candy store. Next, you want to have fun. If it ain't fun, it ain't worth the headaches. I'm here to tell you that. If you hate your job, you're miserable. So why not at least just deal with a life doing something you love? If you're passionate, like I said, the money will follow. I used to say I'd never be a salesman because I hate selling to people. I can't stand selling to people. But then I started my business and realized one day that that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm selling me and I'm selling my art. I'm selling my talent, my gift that God gave me and that I'm trying to give back to the world. And I could talk about me and my art all day long to anybody who will listen. And they got excited because I get excited about it. And I realized that's all I'm doing is I'm a salesman. That's all a good salesman ever does. A good salesman believes in his product and he's excited about it. He believes that everybody he talks to ought to have one, whatever that one is, and he's excited about it. And that excitement transfers performers. If you're listening to me, think about it this way. How many times have you been on a stage and your director has said, if you're not excited on stage, the audience will not be excited. You've got to create excitement in the audience through your energy on the stage. It's up to you to create the energy in the atmosphere and transport it to the audience. It's the exact same thing. On the stage, you're selling yourself. You're selling a performance. You're selling a role to the audience and taking them there. And that's exactly what you're doing, whether you're a visual artist or not. If you're doing oil paintings and you're excited about painting animals in oil, that's something I want to try doing. Uh, but if you're really good at that and that's kind of your thing, get excited about it. And there are people out there who will be excited about it and excited about the prospect of getting their animal painted by you if you believe in yourself. So have fun, get excited about it, and that will, I promise, transfer to your target market. Now, there are a lot of ways to start selling your art. I know you want me to talk about that real quick, but I, it, there's really too vast an array of ways to sell your art and too many types of arts to sell for me to go into each and every one. If you're a visual artist, things like Etsy, eBay, Facebook, etc., I just can't do the research for you, so I'm going to leave that up to you. Just make sure you charge what you're worth. One of the biggest mistakes artists make when selling their work is undervaluing it. That's where knowing your market comes in handy. But we artists tend to be an insecure bunch and we hate rejection. We'd rather see everything sell to people who will laud us because they bought it for next to nothing than deal with presenting the price the piece is actually worth and risk having people make a tough buying decision. And somebody passing on it means that they didn't see the value, and we take that as a personal rejection. But undervaluing your work can set you up in people's eyes as a hack or 
a cookie cutter artist. You need to see yourself for the one-of-a-kind special artist that you are and price your work accordingly. I realize that you may be in a small town and there aren't people in your small town who can spend lots and lots of dollars on your work. And if your work is priced too high for your local coffee shop gallery or your aunt's bazaar, then contact galleries in areas where they can afford more and are interested in paying what it's worth. That's what you do. They're out there. You can do that. You can find them. You just have to do your research, have to do your calling around. You just have to do the legwork. And this wisdom applies to art in any form. If you're a voice talent and you have the chops for the big time, then send your demos to the big boys. If you get no's, then that just means you're that much closer to a yes. Now, I talked about being secure, but you also need to be humble. People are attracted to confidence, and they'll align themselves with the smell of success. That's why you see so many salesmen, the idea of a salesman that you have in your in your mind right now, the car salesman or the insurance salesman, wearing the best clothes and keeping themselves cut clean and everything. When I was doing insurance and selling insurance, I was told by two different top salesmen that part of my problem was my shoes. And I said, what in the world are you talking about? They said, your shoes are all scuffed up and marked up. People, look at your shoes. You need to have nice, good, polished shoes. And I didn't understand why. I didn't want to be associated with that flashy kind of greasy salesman. You know, I think you know what I'm talking about. I didn't want to be associated like that. But I found out by doing a lot of research and a lot of reading that the reason so many salesmen dress the way they do is because you're not going to buy from them if they're all scuffed up and ratty looking. You want to associate and be seen with people who are dressed to the nines, who have the smell of success on them. And it's the same way with artists. You need to be humble, but you need to be confident. I've seen too many artists, way too many artists, performing artists are awful about this, throwing away a compliment just to appear humble. Somebody will say, you know, that was a wonderful performance. You go, oh, no, it was awful. So many of us do that, and I used to do that as well. But all you do in that scenario is make the person complimenting you feel awkward, and you're also telling them that they're wrong. A simple thank you so much and a smile is all you need to do. Shake their hand, tell them thank you, move on if you're not sure how to continue a conversation. Now, I know this has been a lot more of a business lecture than an artistic focus, and I tried to throw in examples of how, tried not to make it sound like I'm trying to teach you how to sell the, the next line of cars, and tried to keep this more of an artistic focus, but I did want to encourage you to know that even an artist can be successful at business and make a living doing what you love to do. They're just basic steps you have to follow. There are lots of other things to get into on your own, such as licensing, finances, taxes, and on and on and on and on, but maybe you have at least a spark for your fire after this, and I wish you the best for your journey, and if you ever have a question about any of this or anything I didn't mention, please feel free to contact me at contact at myeverythingarts.com. If I don't know the answer, I will find out, uh, because if I don't know the answer, that means that there's something more that I need to learn. I just want you to take away that you do not have to starve to be an artist. You just have to have a plan, plan of attack. Start with what you love, figure out what you want to do. What could you do for the rest of your life if you didn't get paid? If it was just going to be a hobby, what would... Or let me put it to you this way. Imagine that you just won the lottery with the stipulation that you had to perform a hobby. It was not work, but it was just one of the things you loved to do. That's what you were going to do for the rest of your life and the rest of your money and everything was taken care of. What would you do? What are you passionate about? What is the one thing that you could do if you didn't have to get paid, that's where you start. I loved drawing, and I found a way to do it, but I would do this etching. 
I first took this etching job because it was a job and I needed work, but I quickly realized I would do this anyway. I loved it and I built my business around that. So do that. Figure out what it is you love. Write down your business plan. There's something magical when it comes from your mind to your pen. It does need to be physically written down. I didn't mention that earlier, but you do need to do that. Write your business plan down. Come up with goals. And then under those goals, write down exactly what you're going to do to achieve them. And then get up early the next morning, get a cup of coffee, some juice, whatever you got to do. Go out for a walk or a run, get some exercise, but start with those goals and decide this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to get to it. It can be done. That's how entrepreneurs do it. They just stay focused. They stay ambitious. They don't let failure get them down. They realize that all a failure is is one more no out of the way, and they learn from those mistakes, and they build on them, and they have a ball with the rest of their life. That's what I want for you. That's what I'm doing, and it's just getting better and better. That's part of this podcast. I like to talk about arts, but one of these days, I'm hoping it'll be some some business will come out of it. Who knows? So that's that. And now we've come to a new feature of the podcast where we review something. This is the part of the podcast where we review something, so pay attention. In this Let's Review Something segment, I am going to review something that is near and dear to my heart and really ticked me off when I went to see the show. Love the Phantom of the Opera. I love it. I love the traditional stage show. I love everything about it. it was one of the, it's one of the shows that got me involved with theater to such a deep degree. I love the music. I love the lyrics. I love the orchestration. I love the story. Everything about it. It's my all-time favorite show, my all-time favorite musical. And recently I had the opportunity to go see the new tour that's going around the country right now. They're so excited about it. They're calling it a reimagined version of the Phantom of the Opera. I didn't think anything about that. I knew they were going to use some LED and maybe there'd be a couple of little set changes and things like that. But when I got there, went to the Greenville, South Carolina Peace Center. First thing I noticed was the chandelier wasn't the same, which that was fine. Okay. Then the music started. Everything was great. And then it went downhill from there. I want to tell you about this new reimagined tour of Phantom of the Opera. Now, I do want to say that I think the New York Broadway production is still the traditional version of the show. And I think the reason they reimagined it probably had more to do with finances than than anything else. Because I think the Phantom of the Opera is a fairly expensive show to tour. So that's probably why. I'm not saying that that's exactly why. It's just my suspicion. But you could tell. I just want to tell you, if you are a fan of the traditional Phantom of the Opera, you're in for a disappointment if you go see this show. Maybe, if you're as staunch a fan as I am. Most of the characterizations of Phantom, Raoul, Christine, changed. It felt more like Phantom of the Opera meets Twilight, to be honest with you. There was just no soul in them. The characterization of the Phantom was more of a tough guy and more of a crazed rapist than lonely, sad, but insane lover. The romance was completely taken out of the Phantom's character. Christine sounded like a Disney princess, which, okay, I mean, she had a good voice, I suppose, but I couldn't get past the fact that Christine lost all of the elegance of the Christine Daae of the Paris Opera House. It was just gone. Uh, Raoul seemed completely inadequate. All of these actors, you could tell, had talent. I don't think it was the actor's fault. I think it was the direction, but I did not like it. Where I really 
got mad after that was at all of the set changes. Gone is the Grand Staircase. Masquerade is still the opening number of the second act, but gone is the Grand Staircase. Now all of those beautiful bright costumes are pretty much gone, and they do everything in front of a wall of mirrors. It completely took the elegance out of that scene for me, which is one of the best scenes to me in the show. Completely gone. What's some of the other things? Wishing you were somehow here again. The big monument that the Phantom is up top on, shooting the fire sparks down uh, when Christine comes to sing Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. Gone is that. Now the Phantom plays everything at ground level and actually gets into a fist fight with Raul. And what it looks like is that they took a lot of the elements from the movie and put them into this new stage show. And you can just tell that everything is kind of dumbed down a good bit. Whereas it is still visually stunning in a lot of places, and there were some good things to get out of it. I just could not get around the fact that they had screwed with my Phantom of the Opera so much, and the elements that were so iconic that people have fallen in love with are gone. So I give this a 2 out of 10 stars. <laughs> Uh, let's let's go five stars. I give it a one out of five stars just because I feel like I'm not going to give anybody no stars. But So I give it a one out of five stars on this new revisioned Phantom of the Opera. If you're a fan of the movie that came out a few years ago with Jared Butler as the Phantom, then you will probably like this because it reminded me a lot of that. I hated the movie, but that's my review of the Phantom of the Opera Reimagined Tour. Thumbs down. Moving on to the next feature of the Everything Arts Podcast... DIY, the do-it-yourself art projects feature. I really like something that I saw the other day at a craft show, and I've seen it in a couple of different places, craft show type things. I love what people are doing now. They're taking photographs of everyday objects, either out in nature or in urban areas, that if taken, if the photograph is taken in a certain way, it makes the shape of a letter. And then they're finding these different things to make different letters, taking photographs, printing them out, framing them, and then putting them on, the, on a wall that spell a name or, you know, their last name of the whole family, or if it's in your child's room, it spells the child's name. Something to think about. It's an interesting thing that you could get out with your kids to do if you wanted to, to decorate their rooms that way. They could go out and help you, maybe even take the photographs, teach them about photography, get them outside and away from the video games to try to find these objects and these shapes to make the letters. So that's the DIY project of this episode of the Everything Arts Podcast. And every episode, I want to give you a tip, an art tip that maybe will help you and maybe something that you didn't think about that might help you out. One thing that I deal with in the granite etching industry is when we do color etchings, we have to use a paint. The best paint to use is called lithochrome. Lithochrome is a chemical-based paint, and it will absolutely eat through most plastics because of the chemicals uh, and solvents that are in there. It will just eat right through them, and I needed to find a way to use a palette that I could dispose of but cheaply, and for a while I was doing the, the paper disposable wax palettes that you just tear off and go, but those are very messy, and it was hard to contain. The uh, lithochrome is in liquid form. It drips all over the place. When it dries, and dries very quickly, it gets tacky and messy and very quickly messes up your palette. So there's no way to use the same palette over and over again. It just it becomes too much trouble. So the only way is to do some sort of a disposable palette, and it dawned on me one day. Go to any any thrift store or dollar store, dollar general, family dollar, something like that, 
get yourself one of those plastic trays, baking trays that you would bake a turkey in, and get one of the plat, not one of the disposable aluminum ones. Get a plastic one, one that you would keep. Now, you also want to get you some aluminum foil because the lithochrome will not eat through metal. And I have found that just a cheap sheet of aluminum foil in one of those, it's got lips on it so that the paint doesn't run all over the place. It doesn't make a mess. And I can do what I need to do on the aluminum foil without the lithochrome eating through there. And it's disposable. And on top of that, and being cheap, it's also a gray color. And gray has those mid-tones. As you know, if you're a painter, paints are transparent. And when you start thinning them out on a palette and pulling them out on your brush, they're transparent enough a lot of times to where the color will be different on the palette than when it gets onto the canvas because if your palette is a different color it will kind of mix with the hues on the palette sometimes a good way to have a neutral color under your palette is to have a gray tone and the back dull side of aluminum foil is really good for that so that's my artist tip of the everything arts podcast episode nine and that's going to conclude episode nine of the everything arts podcast again please visit the website, www.myeverythingarts.com. Contact me at contact at myeverythingarts.com. Leave us some reviews on Stitcher or iTunes. And like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myeverythingarts. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to have you like our page. And we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And one last thing, you may have heard in a few of the past podcasts that I have a book that I wrote, a little small ebook. It's not much of anything, but some people have asked me in the past about what it's like to be a part of a local theater production. And many times they say they would like to be a part of it, but they just really weren't sure exactly what to expect and they kind of shied away from it. So I wrote a small ebook, not very long. And it's been on Amazon.com for $4.99, and at this recording it still is, but I'm about to yank it out from there and put it in PDF form and make it available for free on the website. So, when you hear this, go to the website. If you think you might be interested in it, the book is about getting started from deciding what your strengths are, deciding what show you want to do, all the way through the production, rehearsals, even through the cast party, and striking the set. It is very informative, and it's also a great way for parents, if you've got children who are interested in theater, to kind of get a backstage look at what they'll be dealing with going into uh, local theater productions. It might be something you'd be interested in, and I'm getting ready, as I said, to put it in PDF format and make it available for free on the My Everything Arts website at www.myeverythingarts.com. If it's not available now, it will be soon, so keep checking back. So that's it for now for Episode 9 of the Everything Arts Podcast. I'm Michael Blackston, and I thank you for listening. Hope you'll listen again. Tell your friends about us. Share us on Facebook. Do all kinds of stuff. Shout it from the mountaintops. Go to church and tell your people about the Everything Arts Podcast. Well, actually, no, I don't know. Is that sacrilegious? I don't know. It could be sacrilegious. I, I make, let's not try not to be sacrilegious.